Today is Palm Sunday. This is the day that we honor Christ as in his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. This is the day that everyone came and threw down their coats and palm branches on the, on the road that the donkey that Jesus rode on could, could walk on them in honor as he passed by them. It was a great time of celebration of the joyful entry of Jesus the King. But we're going to talk this morning about this in the aspect of God's agenda for all mankind. What was God's agenda in the coming of Jesus as the king? We read in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of this account. In fact, let's read our text this morning, Matthew chapter 21, verses 6 through 11. It says, The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we need you to unfold some truths today in our hearts and lives. Lord, that there were many of that, of that day that saw you as a different kind of king. There were the few that saw you as the king that you really are. And Lord, as we go through this message today and as we apply this into our hearts and lives, I pray, God, that our hearts would see you for the king that you really are. In Jesus' name, amen. This must have been an exciting day. This must have been an exciting day for the disciples and for Jesus and for the crowds because all throughout Jesus' ministry up to this point in time, whenever Jesus did a mighty, work, a mighty miracle or a mighty thing, he would always hush his disciples and say, it's not time yet, it's not time yet. And it wasn't time, it wasn't that Jesus wasn't, wasn't he was never ashamed of who he was. He was never ashamed of his father, but he just said it's not time yet because he didn't want it to be a distraction to what his father was really ultimately doing. But this is the day when Jesus finally was declared the king of kings, the king of all things. He was riding into Jerusalem today to be the king that was going to be eternal. All four accounts... And Mark and John, then let's just look at those. Mark and John also tell us about how the people uh, praised him. Mark chapter 11, verse 9. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming king of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. John, the gospel of John says in verse 12, chapter 12, verse 12. The next day the great crowd had come for the festival that heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Obviously, this was a big day. This was a day that Jesus had lived for all of his life. The people finally saw him for what he really was, and all the work of him living a perfect, sinless life was coming to fruition, and this was his day of celebration. 
In fact, it was so rambunctious that the Jewish leaders were crying, telling Jesus to stop your people from making such a noise because it's going to cause an upheaval. It's going to cause a riot. And the, the Roman guards are going to, take, they're going to get involved. So the, the Jewish leaders were telling Jesus to tell your people to stop being so rambunctious. And this is where Jesus said, if I tell them to stop worshiping, the stones will cry out. Jesus is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of all creation's worship, whether or not we're alive or stone. The creation cries out, worthy, worthy. This was certainly a day to celebrate. But, but, the sad part of this day is that there were a number of people that didn't see the true purpose of Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem. There were a number, maybe more than what they did. Maybe, the num- maybe there were more that didn't understand why he was coming than those that really did. Not did they not see Jesus' purpose, but they also didn't understand God's agenda that God had for this day. See, even though there was a celebration, we're going to see that there was a number of people that were missing the whole point of why Jesus was coming. Now, we know the story. And we know the story that, most of the, that the reason that most of the people missed the mark was that they thought that Jesus was coming to be a political king, a social king, a king of this world a king that was going to establish a Jewish nation that would overthrow the Roman rule, that they would then live free people and have a better life. So often, people, you get crowds of people, they just react to the emotional buzz that's happening around them. Some of them don't even know why they're there. Some of them don't even have any idea why they're even celebrating what they're celebrating, but they're celebrating. <laughs> they're into it because they're, they're a part of the crowd mentality. And sometimes we confuse emotional celebration with truly a meaningful act of worship. Now, we are Pentecostal believers. We believe in the fullness of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and therefore we get emotional. And that's good. I love it. God loves emotion. God is an emotional God. But we have to be careful that we don't let our emotion override truly why we're celebrating. Truly why are we emotional. It's important that we recognize the point so that we don't misread something and we don't miss the mark. This is a classic example. What was happening this day with these people celebrating Jesus, they were clearly celebrating Jesus. There's no question about who they were celebrating. They were celebrating Jesus, the King of Kings, the King of Israel. As, as the Gospel Mark said, or the Gospel John said, blessed is the King of Israel. Now, it's amazing that words can mean different things to different people. <laughs> we just had a little study on, uh, a little video on, on, on Wednesday night about the, the tale of two brains, the, the way men think and women think. And Women's words can mean totally different things depending upon how your mindset is. Just for one minute, let me give you an example. What does five minutes mean? Five minutes to a man means five minutes. Five minutes to a woman can be eternity. (laughs) Five more minutes, I'll be ready, right? We all know that. 
So we just know that words can mean different things to different people. Clearly, in the Gospel of John, they were, they were hailing Christ as blessed is the king of Israel. Nothing wrong with that statement. But what is Israel? Is Israel meant to be a physical, earthly kingdom? Or was it meant to be a spiritual kingdom? We have to know that. There's a big difference here. So this is the classic example of, of doing the right thing with potentially the wrong motivation. We can do the right thing with the wrong motivation and totally miss the mark. And these people were missing it. This is a good time for us to pause and think about a little bit our motivations behind our actions. Why do I do what I do? Why do you do what you do? See, we could spend a lot of time here because human, human beings, all of us, we have agendas. <laughs> we all have agendas, whether you want to admit it or not. You have an agenda. Some agendas are open and they're obvious and some are hidden and very dangerous. We have agendas. Let's talk a little bit here about what does the Scripture say about agendas because we're going to see here the agenda of God on Palm Sunday was different than the agenda of man. And we need to recognize whose agenda are we going to follow. First of all, what is God's agenda for all mankind? What is it? Do you know? Scripture tells us very clearly what it is. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. This is God's agenda. It says, This is good and pleases God our Savior. For he, for here's, here's, a, here's his agenda. For he longs for all to be saved and to understand this truth. Verse 5. That God is on one side and all the people are on the other side and Christ Jesus himself, man, is between them to bring them together by giving his life for all mankind. God's agenda is that all men be saved. That all men recognize who Jesus is and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so that all men can have eternal life with him in heaven for eternity. That is God's agenda. There is no hidden agenda there. There's no hidden underlying things here. God's not doing it for any other reason than that we all would be saved. Is that clear to everyone this morning? Are you hearing me? Is that clear? Are we hearing God's word this morning that his agenda, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter if there's things going on in your life, if there's problems, yes. I'm glad you guys are like the Bereans. Little homework. Go back and find it. <laughs> Trust me, go back and dig it up and we'll... But this is truth. I'm not lying to you. <laughs> what are some agendas of man? We can have agendas too. Here's a couple of agendas that we have for God. God has an agenda for us. We have agendas for God. Okay? Here's a worldly agenda. Matthew chapter 6. Turn in your Bible, make sure I'm right. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 1, and this is in the Living Bible Translation. It says, Take care. Don't do your deeds publicly to be admired, for then you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give a gift to a beggar, 
Don't shout about it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you in all earnestness, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you do a kindness to someone, do it secretly. Don't tell your left hand what your right hand is doing, and your Father in heaven, who knows all secrets, will reward you. So a worldly agenda can say, I am going to do things so I get the acclaim and the praise of men. Well, that's one way to look at it. Okay, let's look at a godly agenda. What is a god? If that's a, if that's a worldly agenda or a temporary agenda, let's look at a godly agenda. Turn in your Bible to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse, 11, or verse 7 through 11. Again, Living Bible Translation. This is Paul speaking to the Philippians. But all these things that I once thought very worthwhile, now I've thrown them all away so that I can put my trust and hope in Christ alone. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I have put aside all else, counting it worthless than nothing, in order that I can have Christ and become one with him, no longer counting on being saved by being good enough, or by obeying God's laws, but by trusting Christ to save me. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith, counting on Christ alone. Verse 10, Now I have given up everything else. I have found it to be the only way to really know Christ and to experience the mighty power that brought him back to life again and to find out what, what it means to suffer and to die with him. So whatever it takes, verse 11, so whatever it takes, I will be one, the one who lives in the fresh newness of life of those who are alive from the dead. Do you see a difference between a worldly agenda and a godly agenda? The worldly agenda says, I want to do things for the praise of men that I can look really good in front of people. A godly agenda says, that is all rubbish I do one thing and one thing alone, and that is that I serve Jesus. My whole agenda is to find my life pleasing to the Lord, and I will give up all things. I will do as Paul said, I have given up everything. All my other ideas of pleasing God and earning my way to eternal life, I give them all up. My only agenda here is that I will publicly announce that the only way to really know Christ I'm not talking about just knowing about Christ because a lot of people know about Jesus. In fact, you go out in the street today and almost everybody will know who Jesus is. But that doesn't mean they have a relationship with Jesus. So Paul's saying the only way that I will really have this relationship, that I really know Christ and that I can experience the power of eternal life is to make him my only agenda. He's the only thing I, everything I do, everything I do in my life leads up and, and, and matures and goes down that road of an agenda, and that is to know Christ. Whatever it takes, I will live a life pleasing to God with an anticipation and the appreciation of having eternal life. Man, when I can grasp, when I can get that, if I, if I can let that settle into my heart, and if you can let that settle into your heart, then life becomes meaningful now, beyond a whole different way of living where I'm not living to show people how good I am. No, they will see it, but they will see it as my way of pleasing God. They're going to see how good I am, but that's not, I'm not doing it for that purpose. 
They're going to see me and they're going to see Jesus through me as he is my agenda. My agenda is only to serve Christ and him alone. When I can get that, life becomes full and pleasing. So how do we do this? First of all, let me ask you some questions. What is your agenda for God today? Right now, right now, as you walked into this church today, what was your agenda for God? In your mind, is it clearly identified? Is your agenda known by God and by men? Do you have hidden agendas that you keep secretly to yourself? This is getting a little personal here a little bit. Do we have hidden agendas, hidden things? We, we say one thing, and then, but yet when we say something, we say that, we profess that. Knowingly, we have another agenda within us as well. We can have multiple agendas. Amen? Yeah. If someone that knew you very well, if I walked up to one of your best friends or somebody that you know very well, and if I said, Michael Fairbairn, um, you know Michael, right? Yeah, you know Mike. Mike's a good friend of yours. Can you tell me, what is Mike's agenda? Do you know Mike's agenda? Well, what would they say? Would they say that you were a sold all, all in for Jesus person? That nothing more was more important to you than Jesus? Or would they be a little hesitant in their answer? Would they be a little confused into what to say because are you talking about the Michael Fairbairn that I see on Sunday morning? Or are you talking about the Michael Fairbairn I see on Monday morning? I'm just using it as an example. Okay. But I can say that about myself. I can say that about you. What do people say about you when they really know you? That's a big one, guys, because here's the deal. Jesus knows us like we really are, whether we like it or not. We can have hidden agendas with people all day long, and they'll never know the difference as long as we don't let them see our other life. It's called being hypocritical. We just read it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 4. It says that your father, your father who knows all secrets, he knows all your secrets, he will reward you according to what he knows about you. Big deal. Big deal. So what this means then to us today is that we need to recognize the significance of an agenda. We need to recognize the significance of my agenda. And is it lining up with God or am I playing games with God? Am I playing games in church? Am I playing games on the job? See, if I have a professing relationship with God, and yet if I have my own intentional hidden agenda to enjoy the pleasures of the world, do you know how confusing you're going to be in the world? Because they're going to hear a person profess one thing and see them do something totally different. Do you see how that confuses people? Do you see how that displeases the Lord? Because he sees it all. He sees what you're professing and then he sees what you're living. I'm talking to all of us. I'm not talking to any individual person. I'm talking to me as much as anybody else. So just don't, don't get offended here with me. Just hear the word. Because we need to realize that this is an area of expertise for the devil. 
The devil is an expert at deception. He is an expert at hidden agendas. He lives in the world of hidden agendas. He will tell you that he loves you, and then he will stab you in the back. He will tell you, go ahead and fit in with the crowd. Go ahead and do what they're doing. Go ahead and, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll make it really good for you. And, and it'll, you'll be more successful in your job or you'll be more liked by your friends. Go ahead and, and go ahead and do what they do. And then as soon as you do it, the first thing he does is he stabs you with a pang of guilt to say, you loser. Oh, I thought you were a Christian. You loser. See, he just told you what to do with the promise of he would be, you would be happier. And then as soon as you do it, the other agenda comes in and says, I told you, I knew you couldn't do it. I knew you're a loser. I knew you're a hypocrite. I know you don't really love God. And he'll come all those accusations against you, and he will use that to destroy you. That's what he does best, because he is the father of lies. He is the father of hidden agendas. He loves to deceive people in the area of their motivations. Because if he can be successful here, he can bring so much pain into your life and so much distraction and, and destruction in the world that you influence because of that double life thing. Let's go back to our text. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. See, what do you think the devil was thinking here when all this praise was going to Jesus? All this praise was going to Jesus on this day of, of Jesus' celebration. What do you think the devil was thinking? I will tell you that for the multitudes that were there that were thinking that Jesus was coming in to be the king of Israel, the king of the political king, I got to tell you, the devil was all about that. He was saying, say it louder. Praise him more. The devil's not afraid to give up a little praise when he knows that it's working towards his agenda. Because it was his agenda to do exactly that and put Christ on a temporary throne. Remember the temptation that he gave Jesus when Jesus was in the, was in the, um, the, 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 uh, the desert for 40 days, when Jesus first began his ministry, where the Holy Spirit led him into the desert for 40 days to be tempted? That was exactly what the devil was trying to do, set up Jesus with an earthly kingdom. He said, bow down to me and I'll give you all this kingdom because it's mine to give because we gave it to him. Man gave it to him back in the Garden of Eden. It was the devil's rightful claim and he could have given it to Jesus, at least he said he would have, only to say that if Jesus would have bowed down, he would have, said, he would have stabbed him in the back immediately and said, you're not the son of God. You're a loser. The, the devil's got an agenda. So I think at this moment in time, he was not about quieting the people down. He was all about the false celebration. The devil is all about deception. He's all about bringing into that false worship. And he loves it when people come to church and make all kinds of proclamations about their love for Jesus. He loves it when you come in and have a great worship service. He loves it when you come in and make a big deal and then go out in the world and be a sinner. He loves it when you have a double agenda. So I'm, not, I'm just here this morning to tell you what he loves. I'm not telling you how you are. I'm just telling you the, agenda, the devil's agenda. He brings so much confusion and, how, and, and so much negative influence to destroy the life of people because that's his agenda. 
How do you think Jesus feels about that? How do you think Jesus felt about all those people that were missing the interpretation of the praise of Jesus on that day? Well, we can read about it in a minute, but I want to say, first of all, that I'm sure that there were those in that crowd that day that were truly worshiping Jesus for being the Son of God. Just like there are people in this church that are truly worshiping Jesus for being the Son of God. I'm not making a blanket statement here that we're all falling at camp. I'm just doing this to bring, a, to bring a constant challenge to my life and to our lives that we would truly evaluate our motivations so that we know, that we know that we are truly worshiping God for the right reasons. That's why we preach truth here. That's why we preach the Bible here because we don't want any deception. We don't want the enemy to have any deception in our lives. We want truly to be checked and challenged every day we've come into this church. So let me ask the question, how do you think Jesus felt? And what do you think his reaction was to those that were missing his true purpose on that day? Well, the Bible tells us, Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 41. It says, but... As they came closer to Jerusalem and Jesus, and as he saw the city ahead, he began to cry. Verse 42, eternal peace was within your reach and you turned it down, he wept. And now it is too late. Your enemies will pile up earth against your walls and encircle you and close in on you and crush you to the ground and your children within you. Your enemies will not leave one stone upon another, for you, have re for you have rejected the opportunity God offered you. It was clear to Jesus that many, if not most, of that day were missing the relevance of what that day really was. He cries over the pain of those that are coming on that day, even though they were worshiping in him and declaring him king of kings and lord of lords and all the stuff they were declaring because they were celebrating a missed opportunity, because they were missing the mark, he was weeping for them because here they had an opportunity to receive forgiveness and, 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 and eternal peace and joy and fulfillment and contentment and, and all of that, and they turned it down because they were expecting Jesus to give them any, a temporary earthly kingdom. And, you know, we look at them today and we say, well, how sad, how, sad, how silly, how, how stupid of those people to do that. How foolish of them. How could they miss it? How could they miss the point? But before I answer that question and get really judgmental on people, because I can, <laughs> I can look at people then and say, well, you get, those guys are really stupid. But I should look at what God's agenda is for me and what am I doing with it. Am I doing the same thing they're doing? See, God never changes. His agenda for men never change. He's offering the same opportunity today for every man, woman, and child. That same offer of eternal peace, that same offer of eternal life is being offered to everyone. The question is, am I accepting it? Am I seeing him for who he really is today? Am I any different than the people of that day? See, many times we come to people and we offer them a false teaching. We say, come to Jesus. Accept Jesus as your Savior, and he will give you a better life. He will make your problems go away. He will put money in your bank account. He will restore the relationship with your wife and your children. He will heal you of your sickness. He will do all these good things for you. 
It's not to say that Jesus can't do that or he won't do that. But when I make it the reason to come to Jesus that way, that's no different for me than to say what they were saying, Jesus, King of Israel. Come and set up a temporary earthly kingdom and make my life better in this life. Take away the Roman rule in my life because I want to have an easy life here. And if I go to people and if I say, accept Jesus and he will make your life better, I'm saying the same thing they were saying. Jesus, come and establish an earthly kingdom in my life. And he's crying over that. He's saying, I'm giving you guys an opportunity to receive eternal life. I'm giving you an opportunity to receive peace and joy and contentment and fulfillment and all these things. But you're turning it down because all you want is you just want to have a happy life here in this temporary world. And we can't have it both ways. Not to say that God won't fulfill your life here. I'm not saying that. But if that's my mark, if that's what I'm aiming at, I'm missing the mark. I'm missing the point. How does this make Jesus feel? It's got to break his heart. Go, Go one step further with me here this morning. Recognize what Jesus was doing on this day. He was coming into Jerusalem, knowing what his mission was, knowing that within a few days, he was going to be scourged and whipped and beaten a crown of thorns pressed on his head. I mean, big thorns pressed on his head. Whipped to the point that the flesh was going to be torn off his back. Unbelievable torture. His beard ripped out of his face. People spitting on him. People rejecting him. Nailed on a cross. Nails through his wrists and his feet. Excruciating pain. And then to have that moment when God says can't even look at you because the sin of the world is upon you. And to have his own father turn away for that moment when the sin of the world was on Jesus, that broke his heart. No man killed him. He gave it up. He gave it up for you and me. All right, now I say all that only to say, here is Jesus coming in preparing himself to go through this ultimate sacrifice, only to know that most of the people were missing it. And all that he was doing was going to be wasted for them. You see, we have to recognize that the power that God gives us to choose is the most powerful force in the universe. It's more powerful than what Jesus did on the cross. And I say it this way, because if I choose to reject that, then it's wasted. Then everything Jesus did means nothing, because my choice trumps his sacrifice. Now, all I need to do is recognize that when I choose to receive that, now that ultimate sacrifice is a blessing It is the joy set before him in Hebrews chapter 12. Joy that set before him. He endured the cross, scorning at shame and sat down at the right hand of the Father. He scorned the shame and the joy was me and you today. The power of choice. When I choose to receive or choose to reject, that is the thing that God gives us. When God gave Adam and Eve the power to choose sin, do you know how much God gave up? 
that day. Ultimate authority in our life because I can be my own God. I'm going to suffer for it. I'm going to pay the consequences for it. I'm not really going to be a God other than in my own mind. And I'm going to suffer eternal death and destruction and hell that's reserved for the devil and his demons. That's for me now too if I reject God. It's the power of the choice. The question is, are we missing it like they were missing it? The Apostle John says it this way in John chapter 1, starting at verse 9. It says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. See, this is for today. People everywhere here and all around the world are still given the opportunity to see Jesus as he is and who he is, and we all have the opportunity to accept him for what he is. We are here to accept the agenda of God. God's agenda is that all men would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 1, verse 12, continuing on. Yet to, all who did not, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. <laughs> That's the victory that we have when we take the choice to receive Jesus' sacrifice. When we make that day of Palm Sunday truly what it was intended to be. For those that do, for us this morning that have done that, we, have, we are now given the right to become a child of God. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 16. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does, does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption into sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba means Daddy. The most intimate form of fatherhood. Abba, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Jesus now becomes our brother, not only is our Savior and our Lord, but now he's my brother and he's your brother, and we have the same rights to go to the Father as Jesus does because we are co-heirs with Christ. That is powerful living, folks. There's nothing that can defeat that if we choose to accept that role. We are joint heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Man, now I see the agenda more clearly. Now I see God's agenda more clearly in my life because as he loved me so much, more than I can even begin to imagine that he sent his son to die for me that gives me that ability to receive eternal life, that is amazing. Amazing beyond all things. The question is, do I appreciate it? Am I accepting it? How do I accept it? I receive it. I say, Jesus, thank you. And now what that amazing love that God has for me, I become a great big mirror. And now that love that is hitting my life is reflected back to Jesus. And now my love is his love reflected through a forgiven life. A sinful man that has been forgiven for all my sin 
And now I'm covered by the blood of Christ. It becomes a big mirror, and it just reflects God's love back to him. That's what pleases the Lord. That is what has given me godly agendas, that I have my agenda lining up with his agenda, like Paul was saying in his, in his writing to the Romans, that, or the Philippians, I'm sorry, that we would um, choose everything we do to line up according to his agenda. Jackie, would you come? as we wrap up today, as we conclude today, that we would just realize this morning that, that truly God has an agenda for us today. God's agenda. Man. So often I think we can be distracted. So often we can be distracted by the enemy because we see the things that are going on in our life and we're saying, how can God be in that? How can God be in sickness? How can God be in evil? The stuff that's going on in this world, how can that be part of God's plan? Well, I got to tell you, God's original agenda, that was never part of it. God's original agenda was for man to live forever and death and sin would have no bearing. But thank the Lord that God's agenda included, is big enough that includes a redemption plan a redemption plan that he just didn't throw us away and say, too bad for you guys. You're all going to die. You're all going to suffer forever. No, his agenda for us is so big that now it gives us the opportunity to receive. So this morning as we close the service and as we prepare for the Easter season, I just wanted to give us all an opportunity to reflect on our agendas. Is our agenda reflecting God's agenda? Or do we have our own? thinking that we can work around it and God's going to treat us differently. Would you close your eyes with me this morning? Let's just take a moment here to just to reflect on that. Is we do a little soul searching. I love you, Jesus. I really do. And I pray, Father, that you would just search my heart today. Search me, God, and know if there's any anxious way within me. Know if there's any evil thought within me. Even know if there's any hidden agenda. God, if I have a hidden agenda towards you, if I have a hidden sin, if I have a hidden plan that doesn't include you at the center point of my life, would you make it clear to me that I can correct it, that I can modify it? Lord, I really, truly want to be part of that church without a spot or wrinkle, not in my own perfection because I know I can't be perfect but I can be forgiven and I can, have a li- I can be living a life of repentance on a daily basis. That's my prayer. That's my agenda is to reflect yours. This morning as you're thinking about that, I want to give you an opportunity to declare to the Lord one more time that you want to take his agenda on. If you have anything in your life this morning that you want to admit privately between you and the Lord. Do so just with an uplifted hand and say, Father, I have something in my life. I've been messing with some things I shouldn't be messing with and I'm sorry. And I want to make a public declaration of it. I see the hand. If you just would just uh, close your eyes and if you would just uh, make that known to the Lord this morning. This doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means you need help like we all need help. And I will tell you that this is something that is something that we should do on a constant basis. Lord, my hands are up this morning because I need your forgiveness. I need your restoration, your your reconciliation in my life on a regular basis. 
I love you, Jesus. Let's sing the song that Jackie's playing and just take this opportunity to really let this settle in this morning. And let's not rush through this because this is a life or death thing. This makes a difference between being a person that knows about Jesus and a person that really knows Jesus. A person that really truly has the Lord's heart in our heart. This is my desire to Father, we thank you for this day today. Lord, we really make this our prayer today that you would have every way within us, that we would totally surrender, be all in for you, Jesus, that our agenda would be clear to the world, that when I walk out of this place today and my workplace tomorrow, that I am clearly in with your agenda and that people would start to see it that way. I don't hide this. If I hide it from people, then you're going to hide me from the Lord, from your Father. I need to declare your goodness. Thank you, Father, for your mercies and your grace. Thank you for forgiving us. We praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great day today. Be blessed as you go. In Jesus' name.